Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Diane, how are you, my dear? Oh, Jen, hi. I am... I'm good. I've had quite a week. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that right now. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot this week. How about you? I'm very fortunate. Tomorrow is Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. My company is one of those amazing companies that has given everyone the day off. And we're a global company and they decided we're just going to we're going to shut the doors tomorrow. Oh, that's great. I'm in need of a day off and I'm glad that I can. I feel like I've got this major backlog of things that I want to devote time to in Mm -hmm. in like my outside of work outside of momming life and tomorrow's going to afford me that time I have a allyship meeting to go to tomorrow like a like a webinar whoa and that I'm really excited for and I'm going to listen to some good podcasts I just listened to the most recent episode of a podcast called wall black and it was just the speaker was uh, Dr. Key. I don't remember her last name, but they just call her Dr. Key. And she was just one of the most phenomenal speakers I've ever heard. So I just feel like I'm just swimming in all of this wonderful, wonderful black culture that I wasn't exposing myself to before. And so I'm just so grateful to have tomorrow. So, yeah. That's so cool. I know. I feel like, it, yeah, it's nice to have some time to you know, do the things that you want to do and also just like take the time to reflect, Yes. you know, and um, on what you, what we all can do better and Mm -hmm. everything that's going on in the world. So exactly. Yeah. Why don't we talk about some of our mom moments from this past week? Cause I'm sure we're really like, once your kid turns one, you're in the thick of it and there's a mom moment every time you turn around. (laughs) Oh, yes. So, I mean, aside from like the five to 10 tantrums a day over like (laughs) anything from I wouldn't let her hold the scissors to I have to change her diaper. (laughs) You know, other than that, uh, we have some really nice moments, too. So let's do something that's fun. My cousin has a, a son who is three. And so they already have a lot of toys for him. And their neighbor was getting rid of one of those, like, you know, the classic Fisher Price. I don't know if it's Fisher Price, Little Tykes, like the Cozy Coop. Yes, yes that's it. Yep. The red and yellow car. And so they didn't need it. But they were like, oh, let me ask Diane if she wants it for Irene. And I was like, yes, I want mm-hmm. it. Same time. I was like, She's going to hate it and be scared of it because she tends to need to warm up to things like that. Like the first time I put her in the shopping cart at ShopRite, she was horrified. And then by like the third time, she was loving it and waving to everybody. But I was like, I don't know if she's even going to give it a chance. She was having a good day and I put her in and I started slow and she just became like speed demon. Like <sighs> she wanted to go and she wanted to go fast. <laughs> That's amazing. Screaming and like and and going wee. <laughs> <laughs> that is so lovely. Oh my goodness. And then I was trying to get her out of the car and I would open the door and she would close it. She was like, "Oh, I'm getting out." 
<laughs> and my dad was so funny. My, you know, we're all living the social distance life, but recently we've started to have my dad come over occasionally again to help with the baby. And he came over and he was, he saw that there was like bird poop on her car, which like, oh. I mean, it's an outdoor toy. Yes, like it's going to be covered in, you know, <laughs> crap. And he like had to go in the house and get a wet paper towel. And he was like, her car needs to be nice and clean. I was like, all right, dad. <laughs> He's such a good soul. He's just like, if there's nothing else I know about your dad, it's that he has a good soul. He oh does. And he didn't want to put her in a dirty car. You know, mm. he wants to keep her stuff nice. And I get it. So, you know, thanks, dad. What about you? Tell me your mom moment. It's just been so many, Diane. It's just, I. Uh, so I took my children out for, uh, I call it a hike because that sounds really exciting. It's literally like a little very nicely maintained wooded path that goes, you know, it's like a little town park, but there's a lot of trees. So it seems really like you're in a forest, you know? Right. And I brought my kids a couple weeks ago. And while we were out in the woods, they both had to go to the bathroom and they'd never had to go to the bathroom outside of a potty, like... (laughs) outside of like there's no bathroom here so I was like no you literally have to go pee in the woods sorry and luckily I had like brought some wipes with me like I had thought to myself like if this happens I should have wipes so I could like take care and then like 10 minutes later Joey was like I have to poop now and I was like great okay woods again yeah (laughs) but now as a result Diane every time they need to go to the bathroom and they are not inside of my house they just drop trow and poop in the middle of the lawn like where everyone can see them. Like we live on a really busy no. road and they just like pull their pants down. And Emma's like five. And I'm like, you cannot poop and pee in the middle of the ground. She's like, we did it on our hike. Oh, like, uh, See, and she's no. smart enough to say that. But... <laughs> she's like, we were outside on our hike and I see a tree right there. Why can't I just pee here? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, they're really uh they're really pushing it with me right now. So <laughs> they're like they're like mom is at the end of her rope. We should poop on the lawn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and like I shoveled up two different piles of poop from my lawn and just like an hour before we came inside tonight, Joey pooped again on the lawn and I was like, I'm not doing that one. I'm just not doing it. Joe, go find a shovel. I'm not doing it. And he was like, eh, I'll get it tomorrow. I'm like, I'm gonna step in that tomorrow when I go to yep. water my garden a hundred percent. Yep. I'm going to go out there at 6.30 in the morning and not be thinking and just like step and poop. So like I have now become – what's the word when you can predict when things are going to happen? Psychic? <laughs> Psychic, no. but like like prescient? Is that the name? Say that again. Prescient? Maybe. Uh, maybe uh, I might be making that maybe? up. Maybe? Like I can just divine the future now. So basically like if I leave a pair of scissors on a table and I think to myself, well, I have to go put that away in a really specific spot, but I don't have the time to do it right now. I will think to myself, if I leave this out here, they will cut something important and I will be very upset about it. Uh-huh. And then I think to myself, no, Jen, stop worst case scenario thinking. Just leave the scissors. It will be fine. And 10 minutes later, everything in the room is cut up and destroyed. Like, I just know when it's going to happen. Yeah, you should trust your gut and that mom gut. I know. And I keep, like, I've been trained by other people in my life to to think that whenever I think of the worst thing that could happen, it's, it's like my catastrophizing brain and I need to just let go of that. No, mm-hmm. I've been proven time and time again to be right. And I just need to trust that. 
You do. You have. Yeah. It's that that instinct and yeah. that mom gut. You just have to go with it. Exactly. So I'm going like, to. Don't poo-poo. listen to the other people yeah, saying. Exactly. No, I'm not. I'm just going to be like, no, you don't know. You don't know my children. They yeah. will do the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe before I had kids, this was my brain being nuts. But now it's just. This is just, just my like, normal. Yes. <laughs> now it truly is crazy town all the time. Yep. <laughs> And now you're home in it all the time. (laughs) There's no escape, Diane. There's no No. escape. So I have no idea what you're going to tell me about today. I'm very excited. I'm excited because you haven't even told me whether or not you're excited about this topic. I know I have no idea how you even feel about it. So I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. So there are two parts of my childhood that I vividly remember, my 90s childhood, that excited me greatly Mm -hmm. when they happened. Okay. Number one was going to Blockbuster on a Friday night to pick out a movie for the weekend. Yes, of course. The most exciting thing you could do on a Friday night. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Number two was when my dad would say, we're going to go to Toys R Us and you can pick out one toy. Oh my gosh. The greatest, greatest sentence uttered by a parent. Uh (laughs) Because you would walk into Toys R Us and it was just wall to wall, any toy you could possibly think of and toys you would never think of, but you wanted all of them as soon as you walked in. It was like option overload. Yes. Yes. Which is why like before we even walked in, my dad would be like, you can get one toy. (laughs) One thing, yes. One Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So I am doing the rise and fall of Toys R Us. (gasps) Diane, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited. So I wasn't super excited like when I first thought of it. Well, I mean, I I was excited enough to research it, but the more I looked into it, the more excited I got. It's actually a really interesting story. Okay. All right. So we start our story in 1948. With Charles Lazarus, who was born in 1923, and when he was coming back from the war, from World War II, he was talking to a lot of his friends who were also soldiers in the war, and all of them were saying, I'm going to go home, I'm going to you know, marry my gal, I'm going to have a bunch of kids, and I'm going to live the American dream, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> because that's what everybody wanted to do back yes. then. <laughs> So before the baby boomer generation was even a thing, he could foresee everybody is going to come home from war and make babies. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And those babies are going to need things, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So he was the son of two parents who owned a bike shop. So he already like grew up in like a small town shop kind of atmosphere. So Lazarus said, I decided that I would open a store in my father's bicycle repair shop, but instead of selling bikes, I would sell cribs, carriages, strollers, high chairs, everything for the baby. My instincts told me the timing was right. And yes, his instincts were right. So that is what prompted Lazarus to open his first store, which was called Children's Bargain Town in Washington, D.C. Children's Bargain Town. The jingle for that must have been a riot because it must have had a jingle. It must have been like, come on down to Bargain Town <laughs> for your children's needs. <laughs> well, I don't something. know. Because that was like, what, the um, the early 50s? The early 50s. Oh, 1948. So were there jingles back then? It must have because the, the radio was around. 
Children's Bargain Town, which we hope had a fantastic jingle, specialized in baby goods. So cribs, strollers, high chairs, all that kind of stuff. But Lazarus realized that customers buy baby supplies once and then they reuse baby supplies for all their subsequent children. Mm-hmm. He would carry a few inexpensive toys in the store alongside all the other stuff. And he found that parents would buy new toys for all their children. Oh, nice. So he started out selling a few popular but cheaply made toys. And then I am going to scrap selling the baby furniture altogether. And I'm going to focus all of my energy on toys. <laughs> this whole story, I kept saying to myself, like, this guy was brilliant. Yeah. This was not a thing before him. So, and he had huge dreams. He didn't just want one store. He wanted a chain of stores with wall-to-wall toys. So in 1957, he renamed his store to Toys R Us, and he created the first ever big box toy store. In fact, we believe it was the first ever big box store, period. Oh, my goodness. So he modeled his toy store, Toys R Us, after supermarkets, which when you think about Toys R Us, that's exactly what it was. Yes. Apartment stores and small mom and pop toy stores had display cases and decorations, and they sold like a limited line of stuff, specialized in certain things. So Toys R Us basically took all of the small town charm out of the store, and it just put the focus on the toys. Oh, man. I love it. Which like... Nowadays, to us, seems like we want that charm, but it was so new and exciting to people back then. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was very much, you know, you have these people who who had, like, come out of the Depression and all the wars and, and just so much hardship one right after another. So it was, like, this time of plenty and this time of, like, great consumerism and just I can't imagine something more indicative of that more representative of that than a box store and if toys r us was the first one then i mean like he he really was like this is where the world is going i shall lead the way (laughs) with my children's toys (laughs) and it's such a funny thing that it was toys that started it yeah you you captured it with with exactly what you said you literally went where i was about to go so good for you oh (laughs) yes richard gottlieb who's the founder of global toy experts and he's like an authority on the toy business he said what lazarus really captured was the sense of american abundance after the war and after all those years of depression so oh wow you said it right yeah geez Mm -hmm. like i said prescient So Lazarus was actually part of like a bigger wave of entrepreneurship after World War II. Everybody was not only coming home to have babies, but they were also like, they wanted that American dream. They were starting businesses. So he created the modern American toy industry along with other Jewish businessmen, because Lazarus was Jewish, um, who had come back from the war with these like grand ideas. So this one I had never heard of, Elliot Handler. He was the founder of Mattel. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would have known Mattel if you told me, but I didn't know that man's name. And this one I remember my one of, I don't know if it was my mom or my dad telling me about, but Milton Levine, uh-huh. he created Milton's Ant Farm, which was popular in the 50s and 60s. Oh. Yes. And then the other one, the other big one was Isaac Heller, who took military surplus materials and turned them into toys for boys in the 50s. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, so there were all these Jewish entrepreneurs who had come back from the war and sort of 
built up the toy business into something it had never been before. But Lazarus was definitely leading the way with his supermarket toy store idea. He had no display cases, no distracting decorative interior, concrete or tile flooring, fluorescent lights, rows of toys, bare bones appearance, which not only put the focus on the toys, but was really good for the bottom line for him. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. And his timing was was so right. Like he said, like, I think this is the right time. My instincts are telling me because the 50s and 60s, that's where we get our iconic toys, right? Barbie. Yeah. Easy Bake Oven came out in the 50s and 60s. I didn't realize. I did not realize that. Oh, and Mr. Potato Head. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. All the best ones. So this was a perfect time for him to get into the toy business. And people started to have disposable income to buy their children all these things, right? So uh, as Japan rebuilt its economy after World War II, it began to produce lots of inexpensive toys like tin robots, Mm -hmm. plush stuffed animals. And Lazarus would buy these really inexpensively made toys for pennies. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Wow. So he was able to negotiate contracts with some of these companies because he bought and sold so many toys. Mm -hmm. So he could edge out any of his competition. Yeah. I mean, Toys R Us really was what Amazon was to bookstores about 10 years ago. You know, independent bookstores only could continue to exist because they were like nostalgic and charming. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, can you think of another big toy store besides, I mean, I know FAO Schwartz, but that's like pricey, pricey. Can you think of another just like, just big toy store? I can't. I can't. No. I mean, it could be that like in other parts of the country, there were other ones, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I mean, people can tell us if we're wrong, but from my research, they were big all over the United States, all over the United Kingdom. They were in Spain, I think. Um, They were worldwide with their stores. It's funny that you mentioned what Amazon was to bookstores because Toys R Us actually became the very first category killer. And when I read that, I was like, I don't know what that is. So now I have to research what a category killer is because that sounds really cool and terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) A category killer is a big store that just wipes out all the competition. Yeah. Just monopolizes everything. Yeah. Yeah. So examples of category killers are Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond, Staples, Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can think of like one other bookstore or you can think of Staples and what's the other? Um, Office Depot. But like yeah. it's really Staples. Yeah. Amazon obviously is a huge category killer. Mm-hmm. Of all the categories. <laughs> I know, right? They took over everything. And, and we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But Toys R Us was the very first category killer on record. So- oh, wow. Small town toy stores could not compete. There were so many options at Toys R Us. They even edged out department stores who would sell toys seasonally, like for Mm -hmm. Christmas and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because Toys R Us created the demand for toys year round. Yeah. It used to be you would just get them on holidays, you know, or special occasions. And Toys R Us was like a trip to the supermarket. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So then all of a sudden, instead of kids having like – you know, a half a dozen toys in their house that they could play with. They had hundreds. Like, my kids have hundreds of toys. So many. Too many. My daughter has too many toys. Too many toys. So where are we now? Ah, we are at the dawn of TV and TV advertisements. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy. (laughs) This is where Toys R Us really starts to shine. Mm -hmm. Not that they weren't already. But, Jen, can you think of what 
what did Toys R Us come up with when TV advertisements became popular? What do you remember from Toys R Us as a kid? I guess as a little, little tiny kid, I remember watching like Nickelodeon or some other kids programming and an ad would come on and it would have like, like a couple different toys that were really popular at that moment. And so it gave you all these ideas for what you wanted to go in and get when you went in to get your one toy. And I don't I don't know when Jeffrey started coming uh, around. Now you got it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure like when he I don't know if he was like at the at the beginning of the television ads or if he was because I know that he changed a lot over time. Oh, yeah. Um, like he he had a totally different image in like the early 90s versus the early 2000s he was like super cool in the early 2000s with like sneakers and all kinds of but like in yep. the early 90s he was like a goofus <laughs> uh-huh well he actually um came on the scene in 1973 oh wow i know i was surprised by that oh my goodness so he was their mascot for a long long time long long time mm-hmm. it's so funny i mean my kids obviously never saw a toys r us it was gone before any of them were born but i don't know what it is for whatever reason, like whenever we do anything where my kids have to think of an animal, the first animal they think of every time is a giraffe. I, I, like we don't read about giraffes. Giraffes are certainly not the most common animal in their lives. They've only seen a giraffe in real life once. It's not like giraffes are everywhere for us. But for whatever reason, like this morning we were doing a Mad Libs for Kids thing. And I was like, okay, Emma, give me an animal. And she was like, giraffe. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I wonder if like there's some thing where like kids just love giraffes. Like it's just this innate built-in thing. And he was like, our mascot's got to be a giraffe. Kids love giraffes. <laughs> well, he just knew these things. So maybe you're right. <laughs> oh my goodness. He was like psychic. He was, he, he was, was prescient. It's <laughs> the word of the podcast. <laughs> Oh my god. We should just name our episode Prescient. Forget about Toys R Us. The Prescience of Toys R Us. That's what we'll call it. Ah, yes. I love it. I love it. That's so good. (laughs) But he became a staple on TV and he has this whole crazy history that I did not even know. Did you know that they married Jeffrey off to another giraffe named Gigi? No. When? Jeff has a wife, Gigi. I didn't get the time frame. I, I didn't. I didn't dig that far. But he has a wife, Gigi, and two children, Junior and Baby G. What other mascot can you think of that has this crazy of a backstory? Like, I mean, I do remember there were Toys R Us, you know, like freebie handouts when you walked into the store, and it was like a comic with like what's going on with Jeffrey. It was like, there's all kinds of information about him. But I guess, you know what it is, is that like my my older memory of Jeffrey has been sort of replaced by some of the memories of him when I was like a teenager. And I think they like turned him back into a kid, you know, like I don't think he was like a tie wearing child having wife having giraffe in the in the early aughts, you know, um, I think they turned him back into like a little a little kid giraffe which I remember thinking was really lame. I have no memory of him being married and having (laughs) children, but I just remember that commercial would come on with Jeffrey the giraffe and you wanted to go. You wanted to go Mm -hmm. to Toys R Us and he He was was cool. cool. And so he was, he was started in 1973, but in 1980 is when we get the famous Toys R Us jingle. Do you remember? I I do remember it. I, do you want me to sing it? <laughs> I would love for you to sing I have it. To, 
how did it so what was the first line was it well i only remember i don't want to grow up kid there's a million toys at toys r us that i can play with (laughs) what was the rest it was from what was it from something from toys and bikes to video games so but that was like it couldn't have been it couldn't have started with that because in 1980 there weren't video games yeah um i think in in the 80s probably just i don't want to grow up because because jingles used to be real short and sweet right but it became like a full song it was like crazy long it was like toys and bikes to video games it's the greatest toy store there is i don't want to grow up because baby if i did i wouldn't be a toys r us kid yeah it was great I feel like they probably added to it in the 90s because 90s was like such a time of opulence and oh, ridiculousness. Yeah. Oh, my word, especially <laughs> for children's stuff. I feel like the 80s and the 90s were like the real golden age of like, I know it started in the 50s, but the real golden age of Toys R Us was like 80s and 90s and maybe early 2000s. But even by 2005, things were starting to go south. The company went public in 1978. And they turned a $500 million toy industry in 1950 Mm. into a $12 billion toy industry. Holy moly. (laughs) 500 million to 12 billion. That's intense. In its heyday, they sold 18,000 different toys in 1,450 locations around the world and controlled... 25% of the world's toy market. Not the United States toy market. 25% of the world's toy market. So then you have to wonder, like, what the hell happened? It sort of seems like a too-big-to-fail situation. Basically, what ended up happening was the thing that they created is what killed them. They created the big box store. Yeah. Oh. And then other big box stores, like Walmart, and Target started popping up and they sold everything. So why would a mom want to make four stops when she could pick up a toy for her kid and then fill her cart with groceries at the same time? Of course. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. It's like the island of Dr. Moreau. (laughs) (laughs) That was so good. (laughs) Just pulling out my literacy references. It's fine. I love it. That was great. I would high five you if I were with you. <laughs> Even if we were together, Diane, we couldn't high five. I know we could like air high five. It's so sad. <laughs> uh, we we need like you know those toys with like the little hand toys yes. that like clap. We could like clap them together. We could I do don't that. Know. Yep. Or we could get those sticky ones that you get in like the little you put a quarter in and you turn the thing and you get those sticky hands and you like fling them at the wall. But we could fling them at each other and high five them midair. <laughs> yes. I'll just finish up real quick. Um, the store really, um, you know, aside from the the other big box stores sort of boxing it out, um, the store really began to fail when it was trying to stay afloat by cutting back on how many toys it carried. Oh, I don't even, I don't even remember that. No, this was, I think, 2005, mm-hmm. early 2000s. So this was well after we were yeah. going to Toys R Us. Yes, of course. And maybe like 2010. Um but they were cutting costs. They were trying to slash prices on uh, on toys to stay in business. They were trying to do anything they could to stay afloat. Anything short of just like changing with the times. Mm-hmm. Like they never changed their actual business their model. model they, yeah. Yeah. Like people were kind of moving away 
because big box stores became so common, Mm -hmm. it was not a novelty anymore. So people wanted to go back to that sort of mom and pop toy shop experience Mm -hmm. if they were going to get toys or they were just going to go to Target where they could pick up everything. Yes. So they weren't changing enough to keep consumers interested. And that was their biggest problem, I think. Um, They also apparently had terrible management. They had really bad customer service, which I don't remember. And the other thing was the Amazon effect we talked about. Mm -hmm. So people wanted things delivered. And apparently in the past like 10 years or so, toy sales have been declining in general, Mm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't super surprise me. Um, Because I mean, I know for us, for instance, and in my world, like, I don't ever, ever, ever buy toys for my children, ever. They get gifted toys or they get hand-me-down toys from other people that they know, and that's it. In January 2018, Toys R Us announced the closure of 180 of their roughly 800 stores in the U.S., and they shuttered all of their 100 stores in the United Kingdom. Mm. I didn't realize it was that recent. Yeah, yeah, it was the past couple of years. Well, what you're probably thinking of is in 2005, I think, there was a failed buyout thing where, like, another company was going to buy them out so they could stay afloat, and then, like, it all fell apart. So then they were just kind of, like, trying to stay in business since then. And then I think I think it was 2018 when they finally started closing stores, and then it was as recently as, I think, maybe last year that they finally... Like closed the last one. Closed, yeah. Because I think that the one in, in Wayne, New Jersey, closed very recently. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was one of the last ones. Well, you know what I didn't know? Their headquarters, Toys R Us headquarters is in Wayne, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I did know that. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was like one of their big stores yeah. was the Wayne, New Jersey. And that's the one we always went to. That's right? a, yeah. yeah, that's the one that I went to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I but I let me tell you, I've got three kids. My mom had three kids. There's nothing that I fear more than having to bring them out together on my own to multiple places. Like I would just never mm-hmm. I would never ever ever and I guess my mom like didn't have much of a choice. Like she just she was with us all the time and you know, if she wanted to get anything done, she just had to bring us with her. But I just. <laughs> right. I can't, I can't imagine. Obviously, Target would win in that equation. Like, if I had to bring all three of my children into a store with me at the same time, if I can go into just one and get everything I need, that is my choice. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. But I mean, it's, but that's it. That's the thing. Like, we're all, we all contributed to this. Yeah. It's very hard for a specialized store. And I mean, I know that Toys R Us, they put a lot of the small specialized toy stores out of business. But I mean, even like Barnes & Noble, craft stores like Michael's and uh, AC Moore, the AC Moore by me closed recently. It's, It's really hard, I think, for these specialized stores to stay in business when you can get so many of these things somewhere else. Yeah. And you can get them all. At the same, yeah, at the same time, same place. Have it within a day if you're getting delivered or yeah. get it, you know, right down the street at your local gigantimous shop. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Well, I think coronavirus has really taught us patience because I don't know about by you, but by me, Amazon Prime takes about 
sometimes four to five days now. Oh, yeah. It's at least that long to get test. Yeah. Maybe a month or so ago, I was looking at like three weeks for some things. It was really pretty intense. And yeah, like really having to accept that our world became a lot smaller and slower. But oh, I mean, in a very, very strange way, I really prefer it. <laughs> I would like I would like to hold on to those things I know. after this is done, like keep my world small and slow. <laughs> we were just talking about this. Like we wondered how much of this is going to stick and how much is just going to go right back to the way it was. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I know. I think for a lot of people, it's going to be like a real heavy shift back to, like to the I want what I want when I want it. Give me it now. Because I think being denied that for so long and, – and it's not like other vices where if you go back to it, you could die. You know, this is like, no. oh, no, I'll just go back to how convenient everything was. Yeah. But look, I mean, it's been really – it's been a really nice break for the environment. <laughs> and, yes. And yes, other and other things. So it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. But – that is the um, the rise and fall of, of Toys R Us. Before we wrap up this topic, Diane, tell me one toy that you got on a trip to Toys R Us that you remember most fondly more than anything else that you're like, oh, this is my favorite thing I ever got at Toys R Us. Oh, man. Huh. I was a big Barbie fan. Okay. So I feel like almost every time I went, I wanted a Barbie. I can tell you now. I wasn't there when it was bought, but I am almost positive it was bought at Toys R Us. Okay, but it was a Christmas present. My favorite toy that I think I ever had was um, my um, what was it called? My size Barbie. Oh, that's hilarious. you know, yeah. I didn't have mm-hmm. a my size. I was not a Barbie kid, but um, I I do recall the my size Barbie. <laughs> Yes. I was obsessed with Barbies because my grandmother, when I used to go over to my grandma's house, she had her original Barbies from the fifties and sixties with their like, with their like retro outfits and swimsuits and like, you know, it, the, the original Barbies. And I thought they were so cool. And that's what kind of sparked me on my Barbie journey. And I loved Barbies. Well, you're going to have to do the history of Barbie at some point then. I guess I will. Yeah. Because that's like, that's real. What about you? What is your toy? Your one toy you remember going to Toys R Us and getting? So I have this very vivid memory of this one specific thing. I wouldn't necessarily say it was the thing I loved playing with the most, but it's the thing I remember earning and being most proud of getting. So as many parents in the 90s and maybe still today, my parents were huge on you need to finish everything on your plate. Finish your entire dinner have a clean plate at the end. The clean plate club in our house. That's what it's <laughs> called. And I remember I never, ever, ever was in the clean plate club because I just – I had like more food anxiety than a person should ever have, let alone like a five-year-old. So <laughs> I, know. Uh, I was – it was I was a mess of a child when it came to eating. And my mom one night for dinner made London broil and – for whatever reason, I just like 
me and this London broil just really clicked that night. And, and I was just like, I am going to eat all the London broil. And I ended up having like seven slices of this really nicely cooked meat with Bernays sauce. It's really tasty. Oh, you're making me hungry. And it was, it was just so good. And I like remember that meal to this day. I was just like, oh, so good. And I ate like all this food and my plate was clean. And my mom was like, Jennifer, you are a member of the Clean Plate Club. This weekend, <laughs> you can go and pick out anything you want at Toys R Us. And I was like, oh, hallelujah. Oh my like, it was God. just like this huge moment for me in so many ways. And I went and I picked out a tiny little, you know, maybe a half a foot high plastic janky gumball machine. <laughs> And what? I loved that thing. I just like I got a I got a little case of gumballs to put inside of it, and I could and I could put a little like coin in and turn the thing. So it was almost like Stop. a bank too. And I'd like get a gumball and I could chew it, and I'd be like, oh, I got some gum, and it was great. How funny! Like I was not <laughs> expecting you to say that at all. Yeah, it was just like like it wasn't really a toy so much as it was like something I got at the toy store, but. That's fantastic. So yeah, that's like my big Toys R Us memory. <laughs> Do you remember like how long you actually played with it? I must have had it for a couple of years. I'm sure at some point I ran out of gumballs. It was a very specific sized gumball. So I think like once I ran out, that was it. But I think I had it on my shelf for a while. Well, thank you for listening to my topic. Of course. Thank you for doing this lovely research. Yeah, it was it was really, really fascinating the more I, I dug deeper and deeper into it. So it was fun. <laughs> So should we do some housekeeping? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, let's do it. So as always, you can find us on our website, www.opdwpodcast.com. We are also at OPDW Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And we have a page on Facebook. And we have an email address. You can send us an email at opdwpodcast at gmail.com. I think that's all of our presence. That's where we are everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can still, we are still running this special, you know, celebration of 500 downloads mm-hmm. where if you write us a review on Apple Podcasts and you send us a screenshot of the review before you submit it, we will enter your name in a little raffle, I guess, to win mm-hmm. some, you know, OPDW cool stuff. Yes. So... You should do that. We would appreciate it. We would really, really appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. So if you're trying to like impact something in a small way this week, (laughs) yes, help our little fledgling podcast find find a bigger audience. (laughs) Please, it is small, but it is mighty. That's right. That's (laughs) right. And we love it with all our hearts, except for except for the space we have to reserve for our children, our husbands. (laughs) Yeah, we'll keep a little space for them. But most of our hearts are OPDW. That's right. <laughs> tattooed on them. Yeah. Tattooed on our hearts. Oh, my God. One day, if this podcast, like, <gasps> we, should, we should say, like, if it hits a certain amount of downloads, oh, we should yeah. get, like, random OPDW tattoo somewhere. Diane. Very, like, inconspicuous. Yes. That is your goal, everyone. You need to get us popular enough that we hit, like, what should we say, like, 100,000 downloads. If we hit 100,000 downloads... Diane and I will get matching OPDW tattoos. I'll do it. It's going to be great. Don't test me. I will do it. I mean, I've always <laughs> wanted a tattoo. This feels like a good one. You don't have any. I have zero tattoos, Diane. 
Oh my god! So that would be big. It for would be you. huge for me. Huge, huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to forget. I want to thank Theo Rosenberg for our music. Theo composed our intro and outro music. So thank you, Theo. Thanks, Theo. All right, Diane. Until next time. Don't grow up. You're a Toys R Us kid. <laughs> <laughs>